I had COVID about a month ago, not infectious or anything. <laughs> but, uh, but the brain still. Anyone get the brain thing? <laughs> Who got the brain thing? I had COVID. It's a whole. It's a situation. Uh, anyway, I've noticed it makes me more prone to tangents than normal. Because <laughs> focus is like harder than normal is. So, uh, it's just a, a, just a apologies in advance. It's really blaming if I, if I, if I'm not as clear as I want to be. It's not my fault. I don't know if they know. How many years have we got of blaming code for things before we have to take responsibility for ourselves? <laughs> another couple? Another couple. Another couple. Another couple. Um, it is really, it is really, um, Great to be here. I have not, I, I first saw Steve Green, where is this Green? Play the piano in 1997. <laughs> and there he is, just <laughs> in those ivories. Baptist Youth Hostel, when he came around to visit, played some jazz. Oh, piano in the lounge there. That's 25 years ago. It's amazing. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, <dang. laughs> It's, uh, it's getting concerning. I, uh, um, perhaps I'll say a prayer. Can I say a prayer? Yeah. You can say no if you want. If you don't like prayer, I'll judge you, but... Alright, I'll say a prayer. God, um, thank you for a moment in time to find a sense of anchoring, grounding, Maybe even a moment of respite or of peace. As we gather and share, may we somehow know you to be present to us and in us and before us and behind us. May we find a sense of divine presence in the midst of all that is races through our minds um, day in and day out. Um, you guys are talking about some parables at the moment. So I'm going to read one, then I'm going to go on a tangent, then I'm going to come back to it. Alright? So, um, so let's uh, throw it up on, on that. It's from Matthew uh, chapter 20, and it goes something like this God's kingdom is like an estate manager who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. They agreed on a wage of a dollar a day and went to work. Later, about nine o'clock, the manager saw some other men hanging around the town square unemployed and he told them to go to work in his vineyard and he would pay them a fair wage. They went. He did the same thing at noon and again at three o'clock. At five o'clock, he went back and found still others standing around. He said, why are you standing around all day doing nothing? They said, because no one hired us. He told them to go work in his vineyard. And when the day's work was over, the owner of the vineyard instructed his foreman, call the workers in and pay them their wages. Start with the last hired and go on to the first. Those hired at five o'clock came up and were given, each given a dollar. When those who were hired first saw that, they assumed they would get far more. But they got the same, each of them, one dollar. Taking the dollar, they groused angrily to the manager. <coughs> Uh, these last workers put in only one easy hour, and you just made them equal to us who slaved all day under a scorching sun. He replied to the one speaking for the rest, Friend, I haven't been unfair. We agreed on the wage of a dollar, didn't we? So take it and go. I decided to give to the one who came last the same as you. Can't I do what I want with my own money? 
Are you going to get stingy because I am generous? Here it is again, the great reversal. Many of the first ending up last, and the last first. <sighs> Seems a bit unfair. <laughs> we'll come back to that. One of the uh, one of the great things about parables that I kind of love it. I have I have a love hate relationship with Jesus' parables. The idea of the parable itself I love. Jesus' actual parables sometimes difficult. <laughs> Um, the, the reason I love the idea of the parables because I think they, they kind of push against this idea that faith is about certainty, right? That, um, that faith is about concrete beliefs where we can just kind of recite what we know and that will equal faith. Uh, and instead they invite us into a story and we're asked to, be, uh, to sort of identify with characters to be shocked by the twists, to be confronted with something maybe we weren't expecting, to walk away with something to think about that we um, might not want to think about or we might not have thought about before. What we don't walk away with generally is, ah, so I need to believe X, Y, and Z, and that's going to solve everything. And if you've read a bit of the Gospels, you find Jesus is infuriating at solving everything. If anything, he seems determined not to solve anything. I think there's, out of the... 100 and something, 190 questions or so that Jesus has asked in the Gospels. I think he can really answer three. And that's very infuriating. I mean, even a simple question like uh, the disciples come to him one time and say, uh, we brought you some lunch. It's not even a question. It's just we brought you some lunch. And he says, I have food to eat that you know not of. Like, come on, man. <laughs> this one was pretty straightforward. Uh, <laughs> There's a mysterious guy, he likes the mystery. Um, and, I, and I think, um, you know, the reason for that is because it provokes us and it, it disrupts us. And it stops us from coming to think that just thinking the right stuff and saying the right stuff will somehow, I don't know, be the answer to all of our yeah. questions and our problems and be what faith looks like, be what relationship with God looks like. Um, actually, what we come away with a lot of the time with Jesus is, oh, I need to rethink or really sort of imagine what it even means to sort of live in the world and am I that guy? Oh, I didn't think I was that guy. I thought, oh. Uh, and, and we're left walking away like that um, rather than, oh, Jesus taught me the three things I need to know. <laughs> and I say this as, like a, as a theologian who still teaches theology. Beliefs are like easy, are good, great to grapple with. You can, you know, summarize them, recite them, creeds are great for a good recital. I probably do a creed from time to time. Um, and beliefs are good. I mean, I spend time in the realm of beliefs a lot, talking about them, wrestling with them, discussing them. But there is something kind of tidy about beliefs in some respects. Not because they're all straightforward, but because they're kind of, they're not necessarily, uh, I can deal with beliefs without kind of having to deal with my heart. Yeah. And without having to deal with what I, how I actually treat people around me. I can be like, no, 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 recite the Apostles' Creed, no problems. Um, especially once Hillsong wrote a song, summarize it, man, way more catchy. <laughs> Church fathers should have gone onto that jam way faster. Um, <laughs> and so what the parables do in that kind of context is they come in and they just, they kind of flip the tables, they upend us, they disrupt us, and, and our nice tidy little frameworks that we'd like to do yep. for ourselves where we kind of think we've got everything figured out. Um, in that sense, parables can kind of almost be hard to preach from, in that sense, because you end up explaining them. 
trying to explain it. It's a bit like explaining a joke. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like once you've finished explaining the joke, you're like, okay, is it funny anymore? <laughs> like my favourite comedian, any guesses? Who's, who's, a, who's a great comedian? How do you know that? Could be polarizing. Mitch Hedberg. Mitch Hedberg, my favourite comedian. Not with us anymore. But here is his great with one line. Does he think Mitch Hedberg people? Oh, great. <laughs> I mean, this is a joke that I wrote. And, uh, now, this is objectively the greatest, shortest joke in the world, alright? Now, to be fair, that's really setting it up, isn't it? But this is it. A dog is permanently in the push up position. <laughs> it's not bad. It's closely followed by I find that a duck's opinion of me is very much influenced by whether or not I have bread. <laughs> now, these are, like, to be fair, your, your, your laughing response is, uh, suggests, maybe not objectively the best joke. <laughs> uh, but the thing about a joke is, like, the more you have to explain it, like, the worse it gets. And so if you're like, someone's like, why is the dog permanently in the push-up position? You know, well, it's kind of the shape of the dog. <laughs> the way the chest comes down, it kind of weirdly goes up into the stomach. It's kind of the opposite of some of our situations. And, and, <laughs> and it's kind of, its chest is almost like touching the ground, but its, it's tummy is way up in the air, and its front legs sort of look shorter because of that. Um, and that's why it looks like the dog is permanently in the push-up position. And you're like, okay. <laughs> you know, um, and I find parables are a bit like that. Yeah. The more you explain them, the less kind of punchy and and confusing they now I say confusing almost because they're designed to throw you into a bit of a hang on what what what's happened uh, and and the more you explain it the kind of you can rob the mystery of it a little bit but you know we're going to do it anyway yeah. <laughs> um, but but what I don't want to do today is kind of explain to you this is exactly what the parable means and here's exactly what you should go away and do it because I feel like that kind of that sucks the, the joy and the meaning out of the parable. Instead, what I want to do is really just say, here's what it makes me think about. And I'm going to offer that to you. And if that makes you think about something, then that's, then we're kind of, we're starting to do our job. Is that all right? Yeah, very good. Um, okay, another couple of things before I get back to the actual parable. Um, some of, there, there are a range of parables, and Joseph has, you know, someone has probably talked about this. You know, there's the, there's the like, little short ones, like the one-liners, like the dog is permanently in the push-up position, you know, which is, uh, the more I say it, I'll tell you, it's funnier it's going to get. <laughs> uh, the, um, you know, the, the, the seed that's like, the mustard seed that, you know, grows into a large tree, or um, the, the yeast of the bread, or something like that. Little, little short, punchy ones. And then there are the stories, and the stories uh, tend to... Um, well, the stories are kind of more interesting in some respects because they draw you in to what's happening. You know, he's telling a tale. And, and the trick of the stories is that you kind of, you start listening and you're like, okay, especially for the original audience. And sometimes we have to do a bit of work explaining yeah. just because the context is so different. And so it doesn't immediately jump out to us in the way that it might have to. But what tends to happen, or the way they're designed, is that you listen along, okay, I don't know what's happening here. Ah, uh, yeah, I know who the good guy is in this story. And that's who I identify with. Because we're always prone to identifying ourselves with the heroes of, of the story. That's why we would dress up as, I don't know, superheroes when we're kids, rather than... Um, Villains. Rather than what? Villains. Villains, that's right, yeah, don't tend to. Uh, if you do, it's okay. Like, 
That's nothing about your personality and who you are. Um, maybe a little bit. But, uh, but you know, we, we tend to identify with the heroes. And, and so that's what we start to do with the parables. And then, unfortunately, what often happens time after time, even when you think you've worked it out, especially when you hear them for the first time, it's like, oh, the hero turned out to be the bad guy. Um, that's, ah, you got me. Um, and, and so it kind of takes the normal accepted wisdom and flips it on the head, and then you kind of walk away going, hang on, how did I, how did I come out so badly out of that? Um, and I kind of had, you know, so this, this is a part of why I have a love-hate relationship with the parables, because they expose my tendency to always associate with the good character. We do this a lot when we read scripture, by the way. We always associate ourselves with the kind of heroes of the story. You know, I read the story of Israelites coming out of Egypt. And I'm like, oh, I'm definitely the people being set free from those oppressors. <clears throat> definitely don't even participate in the oppression of others. Now, I'll just leave that one with you. That's just a little one. That's just a little taster. You can, you can take that away with you. Put it on your fridge alongside with a couple of excellent jokes. Um, we have a tendency always to identify with the person who we kind of know is going to be the, the, the hero or character in the story. And what the parables do is kind of mess that up for us. And I was reading through, as I was thinking about coming here and sharing from a parable, I was reading through all Jesus' parables again, and I kind of have some favourites, you know, some ones that I like. And I think I like them because I feel like I know them well, I know sort of what they're trying to say, who the good one is, and that I can quite comfortably identify with the good character. And as I was, um, and, and that has probably um, made me more comfortable with the parables than I should be. And so I was reading them as I was, as I was thinking about coming here, and, um, and I was like, I don't like a lot of these. <laughs> now that might seem like a terrible thing to say for a theologian who speaks in churches. Um, but now, I'm not saying I don't like them because I don't like Jesus. I mean, Jesus seems great. <laughs> Jesus is great. I'm just saying about how great Jesus was. Is. And is to come. Uh, <laughs> just cover all my tenses there. Uh, <laughs> but I just found myself going, oh, Bit intense at times. There's a lot of sort of, you know, national teeth involved in a lot of them. Um, and and I think what I was reminded of is that I, I sort of I have a tendency to domesticate Jesus and turn him into this very kind of mm. like nice guy. Like Jesus was a nice guy like me. Um, and there is this, this sometimes I lose that kind of wildness of Jesus. You know, mm. this prophetic kind of um, wildness, very much in line with kind of the Jewish prophets who would you know, kind of rail against the system, you know. And there is something about Jesus that does that, and he, and he raged against injustice and against abuse of power, and especially religious people who abuse their power seem to really get them up and going. And um, and is a relatively privileged religious leader. That's why I don't like the parables. Um, I, I like them theoretically, I think. But when I was just sitting with them, I was like, this feels a bit much, especially when I read them all together. <laughs> now, maybe that's something to do with kind of the part of my life I'm in. I feel like the last two and a half years, and I know lest we, you know, just wallow in the, the glories of the pandemic, but maybe we can put ourselves into camps about how we feel about everything. That'd be really encouraging. To hear. <laughs> um, no, uh, it's been, a, it's been a, regardless of kind of how you've approached the last two and a half years, it's been a difficult time. Certainly in Auckland, we've, you know, had a, it's been a, 
bit of time and my wife works at the hospital and, and I'm, so she's been working through and I've had a toddler at home who's not great at you know, just entertaining himself. <laughs> um, he doesn't play quietly in his room for hours. You know? uh, and so that's been kind of weary, I'll say that. Um, as has just been kind of locked up in your house with nowhere to go for a long period of time. Um, and come this year, I think I felt like this year I was like, well, um, this year's going to be better, isn't it? Because we're kind of through the list. And then this year has been sort of a different kind of yeah. difficult for all sorts of related reasons. Um, and and so I'm just, I sort of feel, I feel quite tired. I feel a bit worn out. Like, go to, you know, draw from the well, when you, you know, and, and you're like, oh, there's nothing in that well. Have I got any others? Nope. <laughs> um, so, then, you know, it's been a lot. Trying to, I think a lot of people think about like, having decision fatigue, having to like spin on a dime like, all the time, change pack. And, you know, I helped to lead a church in, in Auckland, and, you know, there you are with your wonderful, you know, worship team all ready to go, and then, oh, no, they got COVID, oh, no, they got into isolation, oh, no, this has happened, and then suddenly you're like, wait a second. It's me and my guitar again. Uh, <laughs> and so, you know, like trying to do anything has been, has been difficult. So all of that is just to, to leave me with a sense of like, man, I'm not alone in the tank. And now here I am reading Jesus' parables, and I'm like, really? <laughs> now I'm going to challenge the status quo and use my talents, <laughs> free prisoners, forgive everybody. <laughs> And then I've got to invite lots of people to dinner, including all the people that like, I don't know. <laughs> and then I've got to little trim my lamps, let my virginal self be left out. And, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm just being honest, right? Because that's, that's just how I roll. Um, and I was just like, that feels like a lot to deal with when I'm just like, hopefully I can sort of get through the day without curling up in the food. Position, you know? <laughs> and and then I'm like, and then so I was sort of reading all of this, and that's just genuinely how I was kind of feeling as I, as I read all these stories. And then I was also thinking about Jesus' statement, which is like, my yoke is easy. Like, is it like <laughs> gaslighting me? <laughs> um, you're like, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. But if you don't do these things, you'll be in the outer darkness. You know? <laughs> and, uh, anyway. I say all of that to say that um, this is the parable I landed on. <laughs> <laughs> and I landed, I think, on this one because in some respects it helped me to navigate the tension I was feeling as I read all the parables. Um, the kind of tension I was feeling within myself. And that I think many of us constantly wrestle with in our, just in our lives, but in our lives of faith as well. You know, I want to be challenged. I want to participate in this Jesus way of being in the world. I want to see the kingdom come. You will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And, um, and, also, and take up my cross. Um, and then also, I'm a bit tired. You know? and, and that feels a bit much. And so what do we, what do, we do with all of that? So this, is, this parable is going to be my way of exploring those feelings. Okay? And if you all resonate with at least a little bit of that, then I hope yeah. some of this somehow. Come on. All right. So let's get back, to the, get back to the story here. Here we have, I mean, I, I always enjoy a parable about wine, so that's a good start. Um, and here we have someone who owns a vineyard, needs some workers, 
and kind of, to some point, sort of follows convention for Sybil at first bit of the story. Here's a guy, he's going, people would gather who needed work, and so he would go and he went, you know, first thing in the morning, said, here, come on, do some, come do some work. So they go, then he just keeps going back and picking people up throughout the day who still need work. And that's kind of, that seems good and fair. Um, they've all been promised, you know, the first people have been promised a certain kind of pay. And then it sort of gets a bit more odd as the day goes on because the time 5 p.m. comes around because the typical kind of work day in those contexts finished at 6. And so you're like, okay, so you're hiring these guys with like an hour left in the day. By the time they sort of get there, especially if they're anything like me, you know, got to unpack their lunchbox down there. Uh, whatever, whatever you've got to do, I always feel like work, you've, sort of, you've got to, you can't just go racing into it. But some of you are great workers, so take that with a pinch of salt. Um, by the time I really get up and going, I'm probably wrapping up. <laughs> so, so it's like, you're getting people with an hour to go to, to head down to the vineyard and, and Seems a bit strange. Then decides he's going to pay everybody. Gets those people first who, who started at the end of the day, and then starts giving them the money that he said he's going to give people at the start of the day. Then they sit there. And now, if you're, he's telling this to his disciples. We'll get to the context a little bit in a moment. But if you're someone who feels like you're one of the start of the day workers, and you hear Jesus telling this story, you're like, you know what? This is a bit like the talents story. It's like, ah, so the people who started the day. <laughs> Thinking they were working with it for a dollar, but because of their faithful hearts, they worked all day. And then, uh, the great thing is that, oh, those people at the end got given a dollar. It's a, a surprise. The twist in the parable is going to be those people who started the start of the day thought they were only going to get a dollar, they're actually going to get a whole lot of money. And that's why we should all serve in the kingdom. You know? And that's what you kind of anticipate the story to do. And that's going to be the funny twist Jesus puts on his table. Except that's not the funny twist Jesus puts on his tail. Instead, um, they all just get a dollar. <laughs> <laughs> it really falls flat a bit. <laughs> now, um, are there any bosses here? Anyone who's been a boss or is a boss? Mom. No. <laughs> oh, one, <laughs> two. There's heaps of just all the shot because you don't know if you're going to be the bad guy to do it. Uh, how many feel like this would, you know, you're like, yep, the guys who can turn up clocking just at the end of the day and then go home again, I'm going to give them the same annual salary as the people who like, work hard in the whole day. That doesn't seem to make a, a lot of sense. Some leftist agenda. Um, so, uh, <laughs> told you, this COVID brain. <laughs> Nothing I say can be held against it. So, um, <laughs> like a lot of, um, uh, like a lot of Jesus' stories, actually, and a lot of Jesus' parables and teaching and talking and actions like that, everything seems upside down, maybe overly idealistic, even almost a bit nonsensical. Like some of the things Jesus says, like, yeah, but seriously though, um, that doesn't really actually work, um, and. And sometimes it's not really about working as much as it is about disrupting and provoking the way in which you see things so that you're kind of like, oh, oh, wait a second, what? And then you're, you're forced to go away and think about things differently and to reimagine reality. Um, now, the placement of the parable is important. Um, and it's actually always important to pay attention to who Jesus is telling these parables to. 
because he does tell different kinds of stories to different kinds of people depending on how, where he feels they're at and what he feels they need. And so some of the more intense parables are told to um, people who are abusing their power. So it's, it's helpful to keep in mind that he's trying to shock them out of that situation. Um, in this case, uh, this parable is sandwiched between a couple of different stories. One is where Jesus says um, how difficult it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And, um, and the disciples are somewhat concerned by that statement. Because in their time, you know, wealth was a sign of God's blessing. Um, fortunately, we sort of don't have to wrestle with that idea anymore. But that <laughs> uh, wealth was a sign of God's blessing. Uh, and poverty actually was a sign of not God's blessing. And, um, and when Jesus said it's very hard, almost, you know, almost impossible, you know, he's saying, it's like a camel going through the eye of a needle um, for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. With God, all things are possible, but, you know, it's a bit harder. And, they, and Peter says, uh, Jesus, um, we've given up everything to follow you, what will be our reward? So here, here Peter's like, and the disciples, sort of Peter on behalf, you can imagine them all sort of sitting there a bit uncomfortable and then shoving Peter. You say, because the disciples are, sort of almost comedic in the gospel. Yeah. In the way that they keep misunderstanding what Jesus is trying to do. And I'm sure when the gospels were first read out into community, there would be times when hearty laughter would be <laughs> at the at the disciples continually missing it, you know. And here's one where Peter's like, what's going to be our reward? And and they have a vision of the kingdom, which is going to involve Jesus literally ruling on the throne of David. And um, so, yeah, we've given up everything to follow you, but also, it's going to be a pretty sweet payoff one day. Um, after this parable is a story of when two of them send their mum to Jesus and say, hey, mum, can you go ask Jesus? Um, <laughs> again, very humorous. Mum, can you go ask Jesus if when he kind of does end up on the Iron Throne, um, <laughs> Last season, man. Uh, it's an official endorsement for Game of Thrones. The um, when he does end up on the Iron Throne, can you can you ask if we can get some sweet spots like next to him, at his right and his left? Can we be like the big guns when Jesus enters into his kingdom? And so. In the middle of those two stories is this parable of the workers of the vineyard. Right? So that's that's just a little bit of that's important context to know. Um, so there are a couple of observations I want to make about this, and um, one I guess is related to the challenge of the parable, and one is related that that I feel, and one is related to the the invitation or the actual freedom or the liberation that can be found in the challenge of the parable. And I say that because I think even the intense parables, uh, Jesus' purpose is not to like, just make everybody feel terrible about themselves so that they'll go away and be like, I guess I was the bad guy all along. Um, it's in fact to challenge us and disrupt us and interrupt us so that we might actually find a different way of living that in fact is more life-giving and freeing and liberating than the one we, 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 were, we were so wrapped up in. Um, so we'll talk about the challenge and we'll talk about the because, yeah? Awesome. Okay. So the first observation that I want to make is that there is no getting ahead in the kingdom. Mm. 
And, um, you know, Jesus is pushing back against the disciples here about how they feel like they're going to get to be special at some point. They're going to get the most reward because they've done X, Y, and Z. They've done the things, and so they're going to, you know, do the money, get the treats, as we might say. Um, you know, they are like the workers who are hired at the start of the day. We've been here the whole time. There might be some other people come, hang around a bit, but we're the, like, we're the ones who stick it out. We're the type 12, you know. We're going to, we're going to get the good spots when the time comes. We're going to get the payoff. And the challenge that Jesus offers in the story is, well, actually, all the people who just come in at the end, actually, who no one wanted to hire, the people who are, like, a bit unhirable, um, they're going to get the same rewards as you. They're going to get just as much place in this kingdom as you are. And I think what, what comes to me in that story is this, this idea that he says to his disciples that you don't get, you're not, this is not about working your way up in the kingdom. Um, you don't get sort of ahead of others. You don't get to be more special. You don't get to earn credit in the bank that makes you more important. And this is a really important idea for Jesus. A couple of chapters over, um, he really gets, uh, he gets quite excited in a ragey sort of way uh, about the religious leaders. Um, if we go to the next slide, um, there's a passage from Matthew 23 um, where essentially it's just a bit, if you ever read Matthew 23, like, read it on a good day. You know. um, but it's, it's essentially, it's a very long uh, diatribe against people who are using religion to abuse the power, right? It's, it's people who are using religion to advance themselves, advance their status over and against others. You and, just go um, ask Steve to put it Have we got the next one? Oh yeah, yeah, it's coming. Yeah. Um, he says this, everything they do, and this is talking about those, those people, is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide. Now, again, <laughs> something else to go on the fridge. A dog is permanently in the push-up position. Uh, and uh, they make their phylacteries wide. Just drop it into conversation this week. Um, essentially, a phylactery, any takers? No? Uh, they, would, they, would write, they would have these scriptures on, on bits of parchment and they'll put them in a little box and then they would like, tie them to their bodies, like tie them to their arms or to their heads, like, different things like that. So you can walk around with scripture literally kind of attached to you. And if you make your phylacteries wide, then you're making them stand out. So to make their phylacteries wide, if anyone seems a bit upper, uppity, just tell them, stop making your phylacteries so wide. <laughs> the, the tassels on their garments are long. They love the place of honour at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. I was going to read the message version of this. It says that they love to be called doctor or reverend by others. Let's go with the NIV. Rabbi. <laughs> But, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. That's the, like, that's the friendly part of the passage. And then he goes on to basically say, these religious leaders basically are, they look nice like a graveyard, but actually underneath are like maggoty, rotting flesh. 
and um, so on. So it's, it's a delightful passage of scripture. Um, what he's, what he's so, you know, it gives us a glimpse into how Jesus felt about the kingdom. And what he was adamantly against was the kingdom of God being a place where people would be able to work their way to the top of it or mm. get ahead yeah, or gain specialness over and against other people. And so I think this gives us a glimpse as to why he was so quick with the disciples to be like, no, 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 that's not what we're doing here. That's, in fact, what I'm trying to take apart. And what we're not going to do is take those guys down and then just do the same thing again, but with us, but because we're the good guys that we're behind. You know, actually, I'm interested in the kingdom of God not looking like that at all. Not being a place where we manage to work out a way up the system and become special and more important with a greater reward. Um, now, I think this continues to be a challenge for us. I mean, I would like to say that after Jesus' parable, uh, all the followers of Jesus since then realized <laughs> that, um, that gaining power and status in the kingdom is not a path to be taken. We'll all learn to just love each other like brothers. Uh, 2,000 years of history suggests we're still struggling with this one a bit. And the challenge is still there for us, right? And I think it's there for us in the way that we think about the kingdom. It's there for us in the way that we think about what it is to be humans in relationship with each other. Um, I'm not suggesting that if you own a business, you must start you know, paying all your staff the same, regardless of how many hours they work. No, no, I'm not suggesting that. Um, but I think it is a challenge to our... That's not really what the parable is about. Yeah. The parable is about how do you see yourself in relation to others, and what is this actually about for you? Yeah. And, um, and I know this community, and I know that from being here many times since the very beginning, since the lounge room days. Um, the, the kind of community that you're all trying to build here is one in which you actually see each other as siblings, in a sense, rather than um, as kind of superiors and, and so on. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think the challenge to us also is to, okay, what we get to practice kind of here is what we then go and try and figure out how to live in the whole of our lives. And so how do I take that mentality? And it's very... It isn't the main way of seeing the world right now. Mm. It isn't the main value system of how to get ahead in the 21st century. Um, and yet there's a challenge here to our ego who wants to be able to get ahead. Um, you know, there's a, there's a challenge to the part of us that wants to be able to, sure, 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 saved by grace. But once I'm saved by grace, I can swing the deal pretty significantly. There used to be a story when I was younger that preachers would tell <coughs> which went something like this. There was a man who died, and he went to heaven, and he started looking around at the beautiful mansions that everybody had built. He thought, well, I can't wait to see mine. And then they got down the row of mansions, and there at the end was a rickety old busted up house. And the angel says to him, this is yours. And he says, why is my house so terrible? Said, That's all we could do with the supplies you sent up. And then they'll take up an offering. Uh, now, this is the more laughs than the dogs do. Uh, look at a dog next time. Uh, um, so, the sort of funny thing about that story is just how, like, how much is the antithesis of exactly what Jesus is like talking about in his vision of the kingdom? Which is actually like you don't you don't get to earn extra credit in the kingdom by doing X, Y, Z or whatever. 
you, you're invited to participate with God in building this kingdom. Uh, but you're not getting extra credit in the bank for that. You're not sort of racking up the numbers so that one day, oh, it's all going to pay off and I'm going to be awesomely special. It's a challenge. It does seem a bit unfair at times. It is unfair. Unfair. Um, those last workers don't deserve it the same wages as the first ones. They don't. From a sort of good, sensible point of view. But a God's kingdom, all are given, now again, we're not talking about but all are given dignity, all are given a place, all are given a sense of home and forgiveness and love and grace. All are able to experience the kindness, the presence of God with them. And, um, and there's no like dishing that out based on the credit you got in the heavenly bank. So my, my challenge for me is like, okay, how do, I, how do I take that kind of idea and let it reshape the way I see the world? The way that I see relationships, the way that I see my space and work, the way that I see, you know, all of the, the, the networks and communities and spaces that I find myself, how can I allow my ego to be reshaped by Jesus' vision of the kingdom? Yeah? Very good. Okay, so that's, thank you, Justin. That's <laughs> The second observation, and I guess this is like the, the, the flip side of the challenge, if we're willing to take up that kind of challenge, is this idea that all is, all is grace. All is a gift. Um, and it's kind of related, I guess, to what, I'm, what I was just talking about. In Jesus' vision of the kingdom, you know, we're invited to participate, um, but not as a way to improve your position. They're all paid the same because the very offer of work itself is like just God's gift of generosity to participate in what it is that God's doing. You know, did the landowner, did he really need workers with one hour to go in the day? No. Um, probably not. But, what it's telling us is, in fact, this is all from a basis of you're invited to participate in this. And you choose to participate, and you meet God there, and we're not going to sort of measure you out and apportion you based on yeah. all the things that you've done. The, the, I think this can actually make a real difference to us. I, I do think it can. Um, if we can find a way to sort of move towards freedom from this obsession that we have in our contemporary life of hustling, getting ahead, always having to like, um, to try and improve our position so that we will match up. Then I think we, we can find actually a, a, a beautiful and freer way to be, to live. You know, to, to be human is, a, is an amazing thing, isn't it? We're every, Every person is like a universe. Um, any of you like, um, I don't know, in a long-term relationship? <laughs> Anybody? A few of you. Joseph is. A few others. Not great at hand raising. Um, the great thing about being in a long-term relationship is after a couple of years, you find you know everything now about your partner. You don't have to learn anything again. No, the reality, right, is that you never actually come to fully know someone. Like one person is, a, is a, like a universe of stories and experiences and, and kind of challenges and beauty and insight and, and story. And just, just, there's so much going on with each one of us. Um, to be human is a, is a hard and beautiful thing. Yeah. And to live in the world that is God's gracious gift to us is, it can be a hard but also a beautiful thing. And I think, kind of sadly, when we 
commodify our existence, when we overly commodify our existence, we turn everything into like an opportunity to, to get ahead. Then we kind of suck some of the joy and the beauty and the richness out of that experience because everything is just sort of about having to like work the moment, you know? Um, I, you know, for, for, for certain periods of my life as a follower of Jesus, there were times when I very much treated my faith like that, where it was like, okay, I've got to do all the things so that God will be pleased with me. So that God, if you read my journals from many years ago, they just, they're filled with apologies. They always started with an apology. The first line of every journal entry was pretty much, because uh, they were my prayer journals. Sorry it's been a while since I've done this. <laughs> so that's how they would always start. Um, and then there'd be various other apologies. Uh, because what I was being governed by was the sense that I've got to do all these things, but also I'm struggling to do all these things. And so I feel kind of bad about not being able to do all those things. It means I'm really not sort of pleasing God in the way God would like to be pleased by me. And so um, kind of the spirals of anxiety that I would get about the shape of that relationship. And instead here we're invited to say, you know what? All is good. Yeah. All is grace. Very good. Um, the space is opened up. You're invited to participate. Yeah. But your participation is, you know, you're not, you're not hustling at the kingdom of God. <laughs> and at God's vision of the world. Very good. You don't have to hustle to find your place. Um, you are the image of God. Beautiful. Very um, good. I think too, and I've been interested in the way in which that kind of religious anxiety is mirrored in kind of just contemporary societies, kind of non-religious religion, uh, which is equally designed, or even more so, to give us the kind of anxiety of having to get ahead, you know. The ways that, whether it's appearance, or box ticking, or the right look. Um, <laughs> which clearly I've worked on. And, you know, the likes, the dislikes, what you should say, what you shouldn't say, the behaviours you have. It's kind of like a, a non-religious religion in many respects. Like, there's a system to work. Yep. There's things to do in order to like, move up and down. Um, I, um, you know, there's needs to always kind of be improving. Um, the need to always be maximising the moment. When we first went into lockdown, uh, there were these, there were these, uh, that come up on my, on my social media feeds with these people, and it might be you, and in which case, I love you. Um, I don't, I don't recognise any of them here today. No, but the, the mentality was like, uh, lockdown, what a great opportunity to maximise this moment, you know. I, mean, I think there was temptation even within the church world. Like, this is an amazing opportunity to, you know, do a new thing. Um, and I was just like, oh, um, actually, this is just hard. <laughs> so I don't think I'm going to maximise this moment, sorry. <laughs> I don't think I'm going to learn. Did anyone learn how to make sourdough? Heidi. Heidi, sourdough Heidi did. Yeah, Heidi. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, you know, I was just like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to learn how to make sourdough. <laughs> awesome for the people who felt that they could, but in my situation, like, I was like, I don't think I get. And then there were people, because I did this little um, like podcasty thing, and, um, and then there were people who were like, oh my gosh, lockdown must be amazing for you, because everyone's at home, online and now you're at home and you can just like do all these things. Oh, it's going to be amazing for you. I was like, I don't think it's going to be amazing for you because I have to pretend to be a dinosaur for 10 hours a day. <laughs> and, um, and that's not what people want to listen to. Uh, 
<laughs> and I'm changing nappies whilst on a Zoom meeting trying to talk about some kind of you know academic regulation whilst also playing a ukulele and sitting on it at a farm. Um, so, you know, this kind of temptation that, or this presence, this pressure that people feel always to be like, how do you like hustle? How do you maximize the moment? Um, as a new parent-ish, three and a half years ago, is that still new? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Prior to school, I feel like you're still a new parent. Um, then you kind of get overwhelmed with all of like, well, no, I wouldn't say it like that. You know, the, the, and there's a lot of good advice out there. But also it can feel overwhelming. Like, you want to be a good parent? Well, here, no, I wouldn't just, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't just, I wouldn't stop them from, have you tried listening to them? Have you tried, you know, doing all these things? And yes, you try all those things, but sometimes you're like, also, am I allowed to be sane? Um, and, and so there's this kind of um, overwhelming sense of like, always needing to be better at whatever it is that you're doing and whoever you are and however you're doing it. And uh, of course, like improving things that we do is like fine. Like that's, that's good, we're allowed to do that. Um, but, but if it's so that we're sort of earning our place in the world, and even more so if it's like so we're earning our place somehow like God's view of reality in the world and the kingdom, then it kind of becomes this enslavement that we're, that we're just captured by and it's hard to find any freedom here. So I think the invitation um, at work, at home, faith, church, all of the spaces in our lives is to begin with a vision of life as gracious gift. Yeah, beautiful. And I think that's what we see in, in Christ's story. I think that's what we see in Jesus. And I think it's this kind of, you know, Jesus doesn't operate out of this place of, I've got to do these things and say these things so that, um, so that I'll sort of uh, get to be the guy. You know, this kind of statement in his baptism, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And he hadn't really done anything yet. You know, it's just like, it's all gift. Beautiful. And so yes, Jesus could, um, could do all sorts of stuff and rail against injustice and all these things, but I feel like the Jesus that came out of this place that was, that was free. Yeah, beautiful. And so as I read all the challenges in the parables and all the things that feel intense, I'm reminded that the starting point is everything is gracious. Awesome. And then I'm able to enter, you know, Jesus would be cruising along doing all sorts of important stuff and be like, you know what? I'm just going to go chill out a bit. Um, he, Jesus was sort of hustling his way into the top spot. Um, in fact, we might say Jesus is a bit of a failure in that regard. Not a great success story. Uh, and yet, there's this freedom that Jesus has, which means that he's able to engage in the world uh, seemingly without having to sort of prove himself and earn his spot. And the invitation, I think, to us is the same. We begin with gracious gift. Then we're actually liberated from what our ego demands of us. We're liberated from what the pressures that we often um, experience demand of us. And we're able to get into a, into a some breathing room. Yeah, beautiful. Very good. Is that all right? Very good. Beautiful. Um, so I guess that's my, my hope yeah, for us. These, these are my observations from the story. Uh, these are what this parable makes me think about. The encouragement for you is to think about what all that might mean for you. Your experience is different from mine. Uh, your place in life is different from mine. So the invitation for you is, okay, 
What might that make you think about? Um, what does that open up to you? What does that challenge you with? Just sit with those questions and um, let them be what they are for you. My hope, I guess, for us, you know, especially for those of us who maybe spend lots of our energy trying to sort of, I don't know, maybe prove to ourselves or to God or to others that we matter, that we belong, that we deserve a place. Um, my hope for us is that we'll be reminded um, of life itself as gracious gift, creation as gracious gift, relationship with God as gift, your identity as the image of God as gift. Um, you belong. Amen. You're enough. Mm, very good. So, um, you're okay to stand, so, if you're able. And I'll just say a prayer. It's us. God, I am. Um, Thank you for your gracious presence to us, in us, through us, that your spirit is like breath. It's a gift. Your presence is a gift. For those of us who feel maybe weighed down or like there's a lot to do, to juggle, maybe a lot to prove, Would we be invited this morning again into grace? Would we be invited again this morning into a sense of ease in our own skin? Where we're tempted to, I don't know, prove. Where we're tempted to jostle for position and All that comes with the drive of our ego, may we find peace. For those of us who have like so much racing through our minds at the moment that might be before us that we're trying to handle, may we be reminded it's okay, it might be hard, but you belong, you're enough.